Welcome to the Advancing Women in Tourism podcast, where we connect with women in the Queensland tourism sector to provide practical strategies, support and inspiration to build resilience and assist in recovery during turbulent times. This podcast has been made possible with the support of the Queensland Government and Queensland Tourism Industry Council. So, ladies, I want to say thank you very much for joining uh, week two of Advancing Women in Tourism. It's wonderful to have you on board. And again, a real credit to each and every one of you. When I first started this series, I went out to the regional tourism authorities and I said, could you please give me some names of some inspiring women within your region that I could have a chat to? So each and every one of you was on that list. And I just want to say um, thank you again. Before I start, I'd like to formally acknowledge um, Belinda. Bindi is from the Ethical Change Agency, and she is the wonderful person that has helped me uh, to get my new uh, business, BTL Gems, up and running. She's created my website. She's creating uh, or assist us with the technology behind this uh, for the webinars and also the recording of the podcast series. So thank you, Bindi. Today, Bindi will be keeping us um, on time. Just uh, we're looking at about probably around an hour is where we will be. And also she'll be monitoring the chat. So to anyone that is uh, logging on today, thank you very much. We have, I think Bindi mentioned there was around the 100 again. So that's fantastic. And if anyone would like to uh, put forth a, a question or just say hello to any of the panellists, please do so. So the primary aim of me creating this Advancing Women in Tourism was when I was having a chat to a lot of my operators when COVID started, I realised that there was a lot of information from the top coming down. So there were some fantastic webinars and information from, you know, Tourism Queensland or QTIC or ATEC or, but I really wanted to connect from the grassroots. I wanted to say hello to the guys that are on the ground that are really feeling this impact. So the key three words that was come out for this was about connecting, engaging and supporting women in tourism throughout Queensland. And it appears that uh, week one did exactly that. I had a, some lovely feedback, including one um, from Kate from the Carnival of Flowers. And she said, hi, Kayleen, just wanted to let you know I really enjoyed your Women Leaders webinar today. Thank you. Uh, thank you also for connecting all the different corners of this awesome industry. And I think that was really important. She said, it was great to have access to so many opinions and approaches. I'm feeling informed and connected even from afar. So that's exactly what we're, we're here today is, so we don't feel quite so alone out there on the ground. But one of the things that I loved is she actually ended it yours florally. So she's keeping very much in brand to the Carnival of Flowers. So well done there, Kate. So I would like, without further ado, to welcome our wonderful panellists for week two. And ladies, what I would like to do is, so the people that are listening and watching today understand the breadth of industry and the regions that we represent, I'd love you to take a few moments to introduce yourself, introduce your product, your region, and um, what, what's happening in your world at the moment. So if we'd like to start with Jeannie, and then we can go to Amber. So Jeannie, welcome. Hi, morning everybody. Um, Jeannie Armstrong, I'm the Director of Sales and Marketing for Fitzroy Island Resort. 
Uh, Fitzroy is actually one of my five clients in Queensland. Um, family owned and run business up at uh, Fitzroy. And our owner also owns Crocosaurus Cove up in Darwin as well. Oh, okay. so, uh, yeah, very proud to represent Fitzroy. And um, obviously that's us in the background. And hopefully I'm not going to make you all seasick during this morning. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, Amber, so let us know a little bit about where you're situated and your uh, amazing product, which I went on many years ago. It was fantastic. That's good. I think it's time again, Kayleen. <laughs> We're in the town of 1770 and that's in the Southern Great Barrier Reef region of Queensland. Yes. So, in fact, we just uh, have decided to go outdoors and, you know, brave the slight breeze that we have. Our lark vessels that we operate can't run while I'm doing the Zoom because the noise could interfere a little, but they are amphibian vessels, so they take us right through the estuary and the headland, and we even visit a light station in Queensland. So I'm the marketing manager for that tour company, and it's this month that they were established 26 years ago. Oh, and it's, um, yeah, it's lovely to work for a family-owned and operated business, and it's times like this that I think we feel really grateful that we have the good grassroots that we have. And how many um, how many people do the 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 actual equipment take? What do you what do you call it? Amphibian. And so it's a lark. It's a yes. lighter amphibious resupply cargo vessel. Of course. And our capacity is thirty two, which of course may not be what we travel with in the near future when we reopen. Uh, but we operate two of those vessels, so we do have the capacity to take 64 people, you know, an entire coach load at the same time and usually be the only people that are in the vicinity where we're doing the tour in the 1770 waterways. Oh, it really is a beautiful part of the country there. Thank you. Jeannie, I'll just go back to you quickly. Can you just give um, listeners a bit of an idea exactly what uh, Fitzroy Island is? So, you know, what does it cater? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, we're uh, 29 kilometres off the coast of Cairns. So Cairns International Airport is our, our nearest, um, and domestic airport, of course, our nearest arrival point. And we're probably one of the closer islands um, on the Great Barrier Reef. We are surrounded by Fringing Reef. Um, we're in predominantly a national park. Um, and there's only one resort on the island, which is fantastic. We've got 99 rooms, a campground. And um, we've also got a couple of what I call our community projects on the island, which we're all very passionate about. That's our turtle rehabilitation centre. Mm. And also we operate a coral farm of all things. So we have the um, Reef Restoration Foundation that's actually um, farming coral to replenish the reef. Wow, that's fantastic. I've heard about the, um, the turtle story. That, it's a fantastic story there. And wonderful that you can actually um, create some beautiful coral to be able to replace anything that's, that's been damaged. So thanks, Jeannie. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, Sharon and Amanda, so tell us a little bit about your product, you know, what it is, what you do, and uh, where you fit into that. Sharon. Right. So my name's Sharon Corbell. I'm the Director of Sales for Next Story Group here in Australia. So we uh, operate a number of different hotel brands here. We have Next, but we do have our second Next Hotel under construction in Melbourne. And we have Sage, Country Comfort and Chifley Hotels as well. So for the purposes of, I guess, today's call, being very Queensland-centric, uh, Next Hotel, which is very exciting, 
and uh, we are located right on the Queen Street Mall. So a very iconic property uh, was formerly Lennon's Hotel and uh, it's very, very difficult to find a Brisbane person without a Lennon story of some sort. So whether they had their school formal here or they underage drank in the bars or whatever the case might be, it's one of those places that everybody in Brisbane certainly knows and has a story about. And then our second hotel here in Brisbane is Sage Jane Street. Uh, places in Brisbane, you can just say the name of them, people know where it is, and uh, we love being part of that um, down there at Sage as well. Beautiful. Just so you uh, are aware, Sharon, you, you're cutting in a little bit in and out, but let's just, uh, we'll continue and we'll come back to you. So so thank you. Yes, I must confess, I've got um, stories of Lennon's Hotels. It, you know, it really was a landmark property uh, back in its heyday, and I love what the owners have done to the property. It is, it is really beautiful and, and so centrally located. And the James Street one has really, again, added to that beautiful James Street uh, cosmopolitan, um, but, but suburban also. It's made it, it's a, it's a beautiful property and fits in beautifully. Amanda, welcome. So tell us a little bit about Wake House. What do you do there? And tell us a little bit about the region that it's in too. Whoops. Can't hear you. Do you want to unmute yourself? There we go. That's a bit better. That's lovely. Um, excellent. So I own Wakehouse Australia. So we are one of only eight cable wakeboarding lakes in Australia. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with skiing or wakeboarding behind a boat. It's the same, um, same as that, but this is actually on a lake with a man-made structure. So um, you're able to be towed by a machine um, that eliminates the need for a boat. So um, whilst it's very much a sporting activity, we do have a very large tourism focus on our business. We have a, a giant inflatable aqua park in the middle of the lake as well. Um, so that's a lot of family fun um, and makes the place quite busy. We just launched a cafe on the side of the lake as well as part of um, our offering. Um, we've plan to develop the tourism precinct because we're located within a housing estate, which makes it a little bit more unique. Wow. Um, yeah, so we're in Mackay in North Queensland. Um, so we're about an hour and a half from Airlie Beach. We have all of our own um, domestic airport, uh, usually in and out of Brisbane's probably um, the highest service flight, for example, in and out of Mackay. It's only an hour and a half. Okay, thank you. And you, you opened your restaurant how, how uh, at what stage prior to COVID? Was it just before or had you been in so for a while? We took, over, we took over the entire um, precinct uh, last July. Right. So um, we, we really changed the model, the business model around doing a lot more um, live music and entertainment and cafe style with the wakeboarding. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, COVID definitely has um, hurt our momentum that we were gaining, but, um, but that's all right. It, we, we did actually also buy a bus the week before <laughs> COVID. So I think on the 12th of March we brought a bus to start um, evolving into a day tour sort of market, which I, I won't talk too much more about, but, um, sure. but yeah, that's, that's my little learning curve. <laughs> we'll come back to that because uh, yeah. learning curves turn into big learning curves. 
Um, Natalie, hi, welcome. The Pink Pub, tell us about it. Yeah, that's us. Um, So I'm the owner and manager at the Delaco Hotel. My husband and I own the place. Uh, We're into our third year um, coming August. So, yeah, nearly nearly three years uh, we've been managing there. Um, We basically are a small country pub, like a commercial hotel. So we've got um, restaurant, bar, dining, uh, we've got Kino, not a lot of gaming other than that, and we've got six hotel rooms, like really old school, walk up the stairs. So the place is 112 years old, so you sort of wow. get transported back when you walk up there and shared bathroom and whatever, and we have workers and locals and, yeah, we're, we're a small community, but um, it's pretty important hub to the so community So tell us exactly where you're located. So we're in... Um, the Western Downs, so we're just seven kilometres shy of the outback towards Roma from Brisbane. So we're um, on the gateway there. So, how long does it take to get from Brisbane to your place? Uh, it's about five and a half hours if you don't stop. Uh, but most <laughs> people have to have a low break somewhere along the way there. So yeah, about six hours. All right, lovely. Welcome. Thank you. Cheers. And Jackie, Ginger Factory has uh, lots of very fond memories uh, of mine. As a child, so tell us what uh, tell us a little bit about the Ginger Factory and um, what's happening there at the moment. Okay, um, well, the Ginger Factory is thirty five years old. Um, part of the Budrum Ginger Group of companies. So Budrum Ginger itself is established in Australia in nineteen forty one. So um, we have some fantastic history and uh, heritage um, behind the business. Um, but from a tourism perspective, um, the Ginger Factory is based on the beautiful Sunshine Coast, just an hour north of Queensland, uh, north of Brisbane. Um, and uh, we uh, are the only working ginger factory in Australia. Um, so we're quite a, a reasonably sized park. Um, we have um, about nine hectares. Um, we have a beautiful rainforest. Um, we have uh, lots of uh, we have a lake and lots of shopping, um, boutique shopping villages. But the main reason people come to us is to learn about the history of ginger and of the Budrum ginger business. So um, ginger is a major uh, contributor to the local economy. It's one of the major um, food and ag products up here. Um, and you can come and uh, have a tour of the factory. You can come and learn all about bees. Um, you can, uh, as a younger person, you can jump on our uh, overboard boat ride and uh, get a trip around the world and, um, from from the comfort of your own lifeboat, uh, or you can jump on our very popular Morton, the old ginger train, uh, and it'll take you on a trip around um, around the grounds. Oh, lots to see and do. And do you still have your famous parfaits? No, the parfaits are. Um, you can order a parfait from our um, from our ice creamery. Uh, so right. we do hand churn ice cream on on site. Nice. Um, but mostly people come for the ginger scones. There's nothing like Ooh, a yum. fantastic budroom ginger scone with ginger marmalade and cream. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Definitely, wow, I'm going to have to get in that car and start driving around. We really do have some sensational product here in Queensland. Yes. So um, one of the things I'd just like, a couple of different areas I'd like to touch base on, and Amber, one of the first things I, I was thinking of offer, uh, asking you was the state is starting to open up. We're not quite sure how and when and to how many that's currently being debated, even though that we do have a, a, a government plan out there that they're looking at the possibility of changing it. But being positive, we will be eventually opening up. So 
as we do, how do you think your product offering might change, if at all, as we as we initially open up to the public? There will need to be some changes for a tour operator like us, Kayleen. So 1770 Life Tours closed completely for a short period. But since the 7th of May, we have had our retail souvenir office area open every day. And that's given us a good chance to engage with some of those inquiries that started to come through as soon as the roadmap was released. Mm. So there are consumers making inquiries. And we're keeping that quite individual because although our capacity remains at 32 and nothing has changed with any of the licensing related to our product, we know that we will need to uh, initially open with reduced capacity. Mm -hmm. How that looks exactly um, still has a few variations available to us. And one of the interesting things to watch as of last week and to continue to take into account is what's happening with the public transport. Because although tour operators aren't really going to be offering tours until the 13th of June, there is public transport available. And so I guess... uh, which plan we choose and which draft of the possibilities we take to market is yet to be completely determined. Um, We will focus on our shorter tours because we completely need to, you know, still look at our costs and make sure it's going to be worthwhile. But the very moment that we have the chance legally to open, we will again and we'll rebound with some one-hour and two-hour tour products Mm. and with, you know, not taking the maximum capacity on our vessels. In the office, we've uh, got a glass screen at the counter and we've implemented some of those things we can already, but we haven't made the final decision on how we do the 13th of June exactly because, as you just alluded to, some of those things are still being assessed and reassessed anyway. Mm. Uh, as we discussed a lot about last week, um, uh, moving into the future, and I've always said this about planning anyway, is having you know various scenarios, but having something. So if it goes to plan, this is what it could look like. If it didn't go to plan and this happened, this is what it could look like. So just having that brainstorm around the, the variations. And as you said quite rightly, um, listening and learning. So what will happen on the public transport? Did it go well? They might open up. If not, there might be some some more restrictions. So well done. Thank you. Thank you, Amber. Um, Jeannie, I was just going to ask from a marketing perspective, is there anything that you guys have done differently? Have you implemented any new initiative? Obviously, you're going after a different target market. Could you maybe share with us what you're doing there? Very broad question. Um, I think the first or any of your packages. Yep. Yeah, well, I, actually, I might deal with social media actually because I think that's the one we we really had to think during this long period of closure for us what what we were going to do um, and how to keep the brand out there with a very small marketing budget. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the island, the whole resort is closed. Um, we don't have any ferry access on a daily basis. Um, so what we did, we actually, we've always performed very well in our social media marketing, our Facebook and Instagram particularly. So we changed the tone. We changed the tone to sentiment, obviously, about the With Love From Oz campaign with Tourism Australia. We talked about what our property and the National Park and the Great Barrier Reef had to offer people when they were starting to dream and rethink about returning. Um, 
We also had, um, we actually have 40 staff who've been living on the island uh, during this period of closure. Um, that was for a number of reasons. Uh, one was actually some of our staff couldn't afford their accommodation in Cairns um, and they opted to go and live on the island uh, and be cared for by um, the company on the island and our essential workers were on the island as well. Um, so what we did was we really wanted to actually engage those staff in participating in, in the social journey. Nice. So we And then other wanted to post. They were always terrified of posting on social. So in the end, we set up a, a, a Friends of um, Fitzroy Facebook group uh, which is a public group anyone can join and so our staff actually have now started posting what they're seeing and doing each day both during their free time and their volunteer time on the island but what's also happened along the journey is many many of our customers have started to join and post and reflect on their stories and their holidays and their childhood holidays on Fitzroy because obviously the, the island's been there for decades and everyone has a story about Fitzroy. Um, that's been great for us and we really have focused on our locals. We've always focused on our locals as part of our market mix and we've continued to do that so our VIP membership um, we've really kept them engaged and informed when you know they're able to use their memberships in return and again trying to engage those people to share their stories so really that's that we've taken out commercial marketing at the moment it didn't work we wanted to talk about sentiment and brand and that's that's been good for us. I think that's absolutely perfect and I love the fact that you've encourage the staff to be part of that journey it's mm. part of the ownership of it's their island it's closed at the moment but they're still caring for it now that's really lovely thank you for sharing that that's you know very unique um natalie i was going to ask you obviously with the the closure being in a in a smaller community you know the people that you employ are in, in, you know incredibly important to your business but also to the community what staffing issues or learnings have you taken on board uh, with the with the hotel? Um, it's been it's been that's probably been the hardest thing for me personally. Um, I I sort of said to my staff when I I had a bit of an inkling. I suppose I think we all did in that week or two leading up to to the closure that it was probably going to happen. Um, so I sort of talked to my staff at the time and sort of said, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to keep all of you in whatever capacity we can. Unfortunately, that didn't work out. Um, I did have to let um, our chef go and I had to reduce one of our backpackers' hours right back. So she ended up finding another position elsewhere and heading off. Um, so... You know, we're a very family-run business. Obviously, my husband and I work majority of the time there. Um, we're a very small staff. So um, my husband's cousin is actually one of our wonderful long-term staff members. And luckily for us, because she's a casual, she'd been there for the over 12 months. Um, so she's eligible for JobKeeper. Um, and and I've kept one of my backpackers who's actually been with us for, for a really long time now. She's looking to be a permanent resident. Um, so you know you can't you can't get rid of everyone mm. because we had a week's notice to reopen and we knew that would happen. We knew it would be very quick um, when that time came, and we sort of stayed open in some capacity. So keeping the staff, but still trying to manage the the overheads for the business during the closure was um, yeah it was it was personally very difficult for me to make that decision. Small business um, staff is an integral part, isn't it? 
Yeah, it is. And, you know, the locals really connect with, with certain staff members and, um, yeah, yeah, Crystal and, and Summer, they're extremely important to my business and the face of my business. And um, so, yeah, I'm very lucky that they stuck stuck with us through this as well. So you mentioned earlier that you're seven kilometres away from the edge of the outback and I believe mm-hmm. when when uh, pubs such as yours were allowed to open, if you were in the outback, I think you were allowed 20, was that yeah. right? Whereby yeah. you're only allowed 10. 10. Uh, and how have your community responded to you to you opening up again? So we stayed open in a takeaway capacity. So we, we operated the Delaca drive-through. Um, so we didn't allow patrons into the hotel just, for, to protect my staff um, during the time, but but we did, um, yeah, a drive-through service. We ran all the takeaway meals and bottle shop items out the back to their cars and loaded them in and whatever. Um, so we sort of were open three days a week for that. Uh, when we got the notification that we could open for those 10 people in a dining capacity, we were a bit torn whether we should do it or not. Uh-huh. Um, we've done it for... Our locals, I suppose, is is really uh, why we've done it, um, out of loyalty to our locals and giving them access. Um, but it's difficult because a lot of our locals have big families. Yeah. So at the end of the day, if you have two families of four, then we're at capacity mm. uh, or nearly at capacity. Mm. So it's been difficult for them as well at this time of the year. They're very busy with planting and, uh, and uh, the bee farmers are busy preparing for winter as well. So it's, it's um, I, yeah, it's a bit of give and take. I don't, we're, you know, we haven't made money during any of this, unfortunately. I don't think a lot of hotels are in a position or a lot of tourism organisations are in a position where they are. Um, I think we're all still doing it for the customers, which is why we're in the business in the first place. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. no. It um, certainly is a tough time and it, and it really is that financial juggle um, and also, as you said, brand loyalty. They've, yeah. been, they've been loyal to you. You want to try to help them out, but yeah. financially it doesn't necessarily make sense. So No, and, and I suppose if we sort of, if they'd said, oh, you can have 10 and they didn't give us a timeline for the next stage, 10 give us, gives us a bit of practice. For the next stage, you know, we get we get a casual back in to help with the table service and we all get a bit of practice in that side of the business because it's never been a table service business. It's always been a bar bistro business. I've had experience in table service, so I was able to train my staff in that. But um, having 20 straight up, you know, that would have been um, challenging in itself. So I think everybody's sort of operating on the fly. Yep. Um, taking it day by day and, and seeing how it goes. And looking how you have to change your business model yep. as you start to open up. Yeah. 100%, yeah. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing, Natalie. No worries. Um, Sharon, I was going to say, obviously, you, over, you look at a range of different properties. So, you know, from a, from a top uh, position or an executive position, is there any key overall issues that have been raised or learnings that have come out of this Mm. Look, it's a tough one. I mean, so often things that come and strike us down in tourism have learnings from them because perhaps a particular market segment is affected or, you know, a particular part of your business and, you know, you then rejuggle and you think, okay, we've got too many eggs in that basket. We need to, you know, we need to diversify. There is nothing that any of us could have done to diversify anything to avoid this, unfortunately. So it's a tricky one because I don't know that there's massive learnings because, is everything 
thing going to switch off all at once? It, you know, again, it, it may because of this virus now, but um, I don't know that there's anything that we could have done differently um, other than obviously, you know, there's a lot of resilience that's come into this. I think we've been very much people-led. We've been um, very focused on our people and making sure that the decisions we take are good for them as well as the business um, and really focused, I guess, on making sure that we don't lose any good people out of this because that's um, another the key part of um, this whole crisis is that it will come to an end and we will need to resume business and we want to make sure we've got the right people on board. So um, I don't know that that's answered your question really. but um, Honestly, it's a matter of, you know, like I said, you've got various different um, different properties and, you know, with, with so many staff, I knew that staff would have been a, a, a key issue. We always try mm. to reflect back to see if there, you know, is any opportunity. So emerging, is there anything from a marketing point of view or a packaging point of view that, that you're looking at as you as we start to open up? Yeah, so look, one of the, I guess, first things that once, you know, the dust settled a little bit on everything shutting down per se, not that we closed any hotels, we've continued to trade, albeit with, you know, very few customers uh, or guests. We were very focused on the recovery and how we would walk out of this and, and what um, would happen as each different stage of the restrictions lifted and how we would, you know, have our business and our packages and our product ready for those different stages. So I guess for us it's been making sure that um, obviously what we're putting into market is attractive to the local market because that's very much going to be where our customer base is initially, um, you know, looking more closely to drive markets I think Queensland, obviously, um, intrastate travel has always been um, a part of the mix for us as a state uh, because, you know, we do have a number of different regional centres, um, albeit that Brisbane's the capital, you know, Cairns, Townsville, Rockhampton, all those regions have their own um, traffic coming through. So for us, it was very much about just getting our ducks in a row with making sure that the offering we were putting into market was appropriate, um, that it, it, it addressed what people needed. I think it will be really interesting um, to see how, you know, a peak period like Christmas, for example, uh, copes when there's no... Europe, there's no US, there's no international markets to go to. Um, you know, what happens when Noosa's full and the Gold Coast's full? And so I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether this will give us an opportunity for dispersal in a way we could never have imagined. Mm. Um, you know, will people have to look to travelling to areas that they may not have had on the menu ever before? Hopefully that there will be some silver linings to come out of this. We've got a long way to go yet and um, everybody's feeling the pain. You know, everybody needs to, it's, it's not even a matter of really looking at our target market at the moment because it's being dominated, um, you know, we're, we're being told what it's going to be. So there's a, a per kilometre and how far that will be. Hopefully intrastate will, will open up very quickly. So I hope those talks that are happening at the moment uh, progress really well. So thanks for sharing, Sharon. Um, Amanda, now um, in, in regard to hindsight, again, is there anything that you would have done differently or now opening up because you, you had talked about your, your product sort of changing uh, just beforehand, 
What do you think your product will look like as you start to open up? Because I'm pretty sure there's some locals there that are keen to get out and get rid of some of that excess energy that they have. Yeah, so I think for us, um, so with the wakeboarding side, we reopened based on us being an outdoor non-contact activity. Mm -hmm. So we offered one-on-one private coaching. So um, we used it, again, pretty similar to Natalie. We weren't doing it to make any money, that's for sure. Um, but we, this, we, we were able to keep that connection with our customers and progress their skills in the sport, um, which kept them coming back down. And, and we were able to then talk to them about other ideas that we had for later on in the year or for when we were reopening because I, I really use my customers as our sounding board you know, for what for what they want to see from the business or from the, the park in the future. Um, so, so that worked really well. And then I guess now that we have been allowed to have 10 people, um, we took everything online. So um, the business always had the online booking capability, but no one really used it because they were just used to rocking up. But now that we have to have um, a restriction over 10 people per hour, um, it forced everyone online. So um, that's also, I guess, been, been in hindsight, we already had that capability, but we just hadn't really used it. But it's been something that I think when we get busier, people continue to do that will help us um, handle the workload with the staff that we have existing mm-hmm. um, and not have to increase staffing levels and things like that. So that will, that will be a benefit that will pay off in the future. And efficiency that's come out of this. Mm. Yeah, that's it. And that's the best way to look at it from, from my point of view. I don't think there's anything else we really could have um, done. Uh, you know, we, we, we were lucky. Um, our team are quite young. Everyone's very nimble. I can throw change at them and they sort of just adapt. Um, so we're a little bit lucky in that sense. Um, however, you know, it was just the timing for us. So that was our first year really all in on the business um so all your profit we were just funneling back into the business to make it bigger and better in certain sections so probably in hindsight it probably would have been nice to have a little bit more of a buffer in the business um but i I don't regret that if that makes sense it's it's a learning as we we go through and um you know there, there are things that we will say gee maybe we could have but while you're going through it you just have to deal with it the best way possible so even if yeah. your your online activity improves and and assists you with efficiency and effectiveness of the business moving forward you know that's that's something positive to cling on to and yeah no it's wonderful that you've been able to open up and that the the local market are really supporting you on that basis Talking about local market, Jackie, um, you know, the local Sunshine Coast and, and the surrounding through to Brisbane, et cetera, has always been a, 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 an important market for, um, for the ginger factory. So opening up, what, what's about to happen as far as your product offerings? And again, from a marketing perspective, is there anything that you've done differently? Uh, yeah, so we've been closed since the 23rd of March, like um, most other tourism attractions on the coast uh, or around the country. Um, we don't, uh, tourism operators aren't permitted to reopen until the 13th of June. Um, at this stage, um, we're not reopening on that date. Um, we've still, uh, we've really taken the opportunity to sit back and have a look at the park. As I mentioned, we are 35 years old. 
um, and there's a lot of um, improvements that we've decided to make at this time. So um, rather than sort of scurry away and think, oh, woe is me, we've actually sat back and said, okay, what can we do differently? Um, so we're refurbishing our retail shop at the moment. We're redesigning our cafe menu. Um, we uh, have made some changes to the gardens. Um, so we now have a new lawn for the children to sit on and the families to sit on in front of the children's playground. Um, and we were um, already in the process of working on a new attraction for um, that sits within our rainforest. Uh, so we've been able to, to really sit down and, and work through that process and um, we hope to be able to launch that in September this year. Um, hopefully we'll be hoping before then, um, but uh, we're, we're in the capability, we're in the position where we have a retail shop, a cafe um, and also a tourism park, which is primarily outdoors, but one of those attractions is indoors. Um, so a staged approach is really how we have to have how we have to move forward on this with the different laws regarding people, numbers of people, and social distancing. So, um, at the moment, the operations team is working on that um, reopening plan and um, in a COVID safe way. And uh, yeah, so we yeah, will probably start by reopening our retail shop um, and then see what happens from there. Thank you. Um, I've been in the industry for an awful long time and I've, I've seen our distribution chain uh, change considerably. So when I first started, the vast majority came through third party. We had wholesalers take, you know, 90 plus percent of our business. Direct business, you know, didn't come for many, many years later when we finally had access to our own websites. And even when we did, we didn't really want to trust that website. But then we eventually started to have online bookings, etc. So, uh, I ask anyone that, that might be interested, but I'll start with Sharon if I can, because I know that distribution is very important to, to all of us, but particularly hotels and you've got variety. What do you think is some of the key changes that we might have to look at as an industry moving forward? Yeah, look, I think um, even just down to the mix between business and leisure traffic is going to, you know, shift a little bit for particularly capital city hotels um, uh, in the short term, hopefully, but we're anticipating, you know, it may well take up to 12 months for corporate traffic to recommence in the, in the manner in which it had been moving. Um, so for us, you know, we, I guess, have always been um, pretty focused on having a broad distribution base. Um, the the nature of our hotels um, allows us to do that. Obviously, not all tourism product can have a good mix um, because I think, you know, one of the um, you know, the best ways to bulletproof your business is to um, to have that broad spread of, uh, of distribution. So for us, we are obviously, um, you know, looking at, you know, what is happening um, from an international perspective um, and, you know, what, what do we think will come to pass with regard to, you know, some of the group series business we're involved with as well as the FIT side of things, um, you know, whether we weren't wholly reliant on any one international market either, where I know a lot of other businesses are. So um, I guess for us there's not, a little bit less change per se and more um, consideration on, you know, what we anticipate will come to pass and how um, we will just shift um, our offering to, to suit the markets that are available to us. So as the market starts to open up, that's going to dominate how we necessarily um, liaise with yeah. them. Yeah. 
I think one of the other risks for us too is that I think there, you know, the pot- potentially there's going to be a perception that um, there should be discounting. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, one of the the big, big challenges for all of us is that we have lost so much money in our businesses. We simply cannot afford to um, to discount to get customers. So I think that's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds in each of the markets and and how our competitors react um, and what happens. But I would hate to think that we come out of this and suddenly end up in a downward spiral with rates, um, with people, you know, madly trying to get business in the door. Um, We need to to be sustainable and to be able to, to trade out of this very difficult time there's no reason why rates should be going backwards. It's a, it's going to be a really uh, tricky thing to have a look at. And I think we need to really be mindful of the community, uh, our customers and their sentiment. And I, and I, they they've been hurting too. They've had obviously lost their jobs or they've had a reduction at least of, of income into their, their families. And as much as they want to support, I just know locally that everything I'm trying to buy at the moment, I want to do it at a local store and not necessarily at a large department store, even just going to the local butchers or the corner store to buy a coffee. Or, I think there's a lot more people that are mindful of that. I think that what they'll be seeking is value, though, so not necessarily the cut in dollars, but they want something. They just want to go, you know, what is that little edge? I refer to it as the, the chocolate freckle. Um, you know, what is that little added that comes with that cup of coffee that just makes you go, that's nice, they care about me, they've thought about me. So absolutely. Absolutely. Because yeah. I think, you know, we're all going to have to layer additional things into our businesses, which are going to come at a cost as well. So, um, you know, that's the other thing. The cost of doing business has actually shifted for pretty much everyone also. Uh, yeah, totally, totally. So, ladies, is there anyone else that'd like to to step in about how you feel that moving forward um, with pricing or packaging might might be different to what you've done before? Jeannie, what about yourself up at North Queensland? Yeah. Yeah, I would like to um, jump in, into this one as well. And I'm really on the same page as Sharon here. Um, I hope this doesn't see, you know, rate discount, uh, discounting um, among, you know, competitors in the same city, of which cans can be very vulnerable to, um, because I don't think we need to do that at the end of the day. If we actually look at how many people um, domestically would have normally travelled overseas and add those people to the people who would all would all, always holiday at home anyway, we might actually come out of this in a better situation um, because I actually think domestically there'll be more people travelling than there were in the past. Um, I think to echo what Sharon was saying, it's, again, really about giving value and it's about giving really good customer service. Um, one of the things I've noticed, again, with the small um, players around where I live in Sydney, is how much better the customer service is at the moment from the coffee shop, the local fruit place, the local florist. And it's sort of the type of um, customer service I haven't been seeing for a long time. And I think that's really what happens moving forward. We need to become very engaged with our customers. All of our staff need to um, resonate along that as well as, you know, the owners and the managers. Um, So that's the first thing. Um, 
Just going back to distribution, at the end of the day, it's all about yield. I mean, we're predominantly a leisure product. We do day trips, so we do have that day tour business, plus our 99 rooms. And we've found over the 10 years we've been in operation that actually spreading our distribution over all of the markets is essential. And at the end of the day, driving our own website is king. Um, Our own website uh, now generates an awful lot of our overall revenue and we can manage that accordingly and then we yield our other markets effectively. Um, We do work with the online travel agents. We do work with the deals um, resellers, but we do it in the times of the year that it suits us and, and where we need to actually, you know, place business looking forward. What I'm hoping for North Queensland, that it'll actually sort of flatten out the curve for us, not in terms of COVID, but flatten the curve of when people actually come into state. Um, Because at the moment, it can be really up and down in Cairns. We have some fabulous high seasons. And then November and May are shocking. Um, But they're actually two of the most beautiful months of the year. So I think it's really about um, starting to, to share what's good in your region, Fill, fill really your down and your shoulders periods and, and then work from there. But be reasonable and offer value and great service. I mean, I, those are my two sort of messages on that one. It's wonderful to see that um, I think people are being more personable. You know, they, they are appreciating anyone that walks through the door and they're having taking that time to have that conversation and, and have that connection, which is what tourism is and should always be about. Thanks for sharing, Jeannie. Can Amber, I just jump yep, in, Kayla? Please, is that all right? Yeah. So being a small country pub, we've sort of always had that um, every single customer that walks through the door is an asset to our business because when we're talking about profitability, we're talking about cents, not dollars, and not tens of dollars or hundreds of dollars. We're talking about every cent. Mm. Um, so we've always enforced our staff that every single customer is important and I think it's going to be nice to see, you know, every, like you said, you go into a, a coffee shop in Brisbane or something and they're sort of a bit whatever about you if you only order a coffee, whereas now I think it's going to be that very customer-focused industry um, going back a little bit old school, I suppose, like we are out west. Um, with diversification, it's something that we've always had to look at. Um, we're actually developing a tourist park behind the hotel. We're very family-oriented, so we're putting a little lawn bowls green into our beer garden. These were all in the works prior COVID. Um, so diversification, I suppose, out back has always been fairly significant as an important part. And um, as far as your distribution, we need to have customers from all over Australia um, calling in on their way through. Um, we, we have a map in our hotel where our visitors, our overnight guests, pop a little pin so that we can see where our, our customers are coming from oh. and, and it's amazing. The amount of Australians that travel all around Australia, um, I think that's only going to increase and I was talking about it today with my husband. I really think that tourist period that we all see, like like um, Jenny said, uh, Jeannie said there about flattening that curve, uh, we see six months of the year for tourism. I think we're going to see that that spread out and uh, younger families as well, not just the grey nomads um, doing the travel around Australia, which is exciting because I think it gives us all a possibility to, to grow our businesses into a new market. Absolutely. I mean, with uh, international travel for some time, 
not being able to open up for some time. People are really keen to, to, to get out and start seeing what Australia has to offer. So I think it's going to go back to the old road travel that happened yeah. many years ago, you know, whether it's a, your car or a caravan or a camper van or, you know, just um, travelling along, staying at the country pubs like yourself, people yeah. really getting into that local community sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, and as far as uh, hospitality is concerned, I mean, country has always been known as having that country hospitality and we've always put that on a pedestal to, to really try to, um, you know, duplicate because we admire it so much. Thank you, Chip. Yeah, well done. Uh, Amber, would you like to um, let us know any any particular changes there from marketing, packaging, distribution? And certainly I'd like to agree with those other things. I feel if there's anything to be grateful for in the COVID-19 situation we're faced with here, it is that our destination offers those things you just mentioned, Kayleen. You know, it's a small drive, you take your camper trailer, caravan, uh, the high-rise are quite minimal, the beaches are never overpopulated. So we have the things that those, you know, families that will also hopefully go to Western Downs and just explore their state a little bit more rather than initially taking straight away the overseas option. We have that in the destination. We have those assets and it is something to be grateful for. We can't wait to open, however different it may be. For us at 1770 Life Tours in a tour operator capacity, we always felt a little uphill battle with our distribution and you would understand it, you know, with trade, there's not that many bookings that come through the trade for a tour specifically. Of course, there is within the destination for accommodation and for other parts of what is on offer. However, we would spend a lot of time and energy working the trade and and have done for over a decade as a business Mm. when you weigh that up you know it's not about the bookings that we received from the trade because obviously our um exposure and the partnerships we've created over time are more than valuable and we still are aligned with so many things in trade because we've seen the value however at this particular time it's nice to just have that little bit of positivity we we've got so many direct bookings that come Um, Our consumers can be from anywhere and they might have found out about us through the trade. But, you know, having that personal relationship where we can now say, well, if we are only able to take eight people on that tour, let's talk about your group and your availability and personally interact with them and make sure that that service is there and, and nobody misses out. Such an important point. You know, relationships in tourism is what tourism is all about. So whether it's the relationship with our customers, the relationship with our industry, um, as far as our trade partners or within our industry, absolutely critical. Yeah, thank you. We have a core base of what we call Larkaholics and it is the kind of tour operation that people revisit, you know, and they bring their friends and they come two years later when we have a new part of the product. So in support of what was said earlier with Jeannie and Sharon, you know, we don't want to discount. We, we want to make sure our Larkaholics feel loved we want them to tell their friends and relatives who live nearby. And I think that's the way to make sure that we can all survive, however, still maintain what we need to and not turn us all into discount businesses. Yep. Fingers crossed for everybody. Um, Jackie, any any final words? We're, we're going to do a bit of a, a wrap-up now because we're coming towards our hour. Is there um, anything finally you'd like to say as far as issues the industry uh, uh 
need to face or if, if there's any key learnings that have come out of what's, what's just happened? Uh, yeah, definitely um, the online space has been a, a massive learning curve for all of us. Um, I mean, the fact that we're all on, on Zoom today for many of us is a new thing in the last few months. Um, but from a, our customer perspective, you know, we've got a really engaged, loyal following um, and we've not re- um, we've been able to sit back and have a look at how we're communicating with them. Um, we're getting some great messaging from them in terms of they love us and they miss us and they can't wait to come back. Um, so for us, it's about how do we continue to engage them in those online online channels um, and continue to keep them, um, uh, you know, engaged and, and and wanting to be there on the first day that we reopen. Um, but also for us, we've been able to, um, we've focused quite heavily on our online e-commerce store because we have food products to sell as, as well as um, being a tourism attraction. Um, and that's been a part of the business that's not really been focused on before. Um, so we've seen some great increases in that space um, and it's been quite encouraging and, and we're working on a new online store there and, and improving our online presence. And so that's created a whole new revenue stream for us um, and an effectively a new department um, that we can we can work with moving forward. Um, yeah, but generally I think that you know, the, the trade as a whole has has embraced social media particularly um, and um, and as we've all said you know it's all about the customer at the end of the day and and what we've we've found is there's a new way um, to really create that level of engagement that we want to move forward with on. I've, it, I've been um, it's been wonderful to see some of the diversification of of industry you know that if there was a restaurant how people are repackaging certain things and the products and right down to you know wine tasting and cheese tastings that people have collated and actually created a product that they never had before so I love seeing the innovation in our industry yeah there's been some amazing entrepreneurial spirit shown um I I know locally people in tourism yeah they tend to be really agile so it's been great to see the way people have been responding absolutely uh, Amanda, any final words that you would like to say about, you know, moving forward or any any um, anything from hindsight? Oh, I don't know. I feel like I've said enough. <laughs> no, no, that that. Uh, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think the time, um, the t- we use the time really well because quite often. Um, I'm, you know, we we move quite rapidly. Um, I don't know most people do, but at least I guess the one positive out of COVID was that it actually gave me the time to sit down and really plan out some business plans on where I wanted to see the business go over the next five years. Um, we we had all these different plans in place, and this definitely made us sit back and go, okay, what what can we work on? Well, we initially thought we'd be closed till September, October. So um, I definitely think that's one positive. And I think a lot of other business owners did the similar sort of thing where they just were planning out. Um, so I think now we're ready to hit the ground running. If we do get this influx of tourism, which I really hope we do from within the state, we're able to, to handle that so long as all the staff are still still around. The only thing that was a little bit hard for us was um, a lot of our staff were working casually with uni or they were under 21 years of age, so they sort of fell out of um, JobKeeper. Mm. So um, I really resonate with what you were talking about, Natalie, earlier. Like it was really hard to 
to explain to them what was going on. They've never seen anything like this happen. Mm. Um, I, you know, I went through GFC, so I kind of understood um, what we were going through a lot more than maybe what, what they did. So um, that would be the only other thing, I think, just being able to under, understand or explain that sort of thing a, a little bit better would have been would have been nice. But um, but yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, Jackie, you had another comment you wanted to say? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to pick up on something that Jenny talked about earlier, which was about um, using the staff for marketing in the um, current in the current situation and in the future. Um, and I think probably in the past we've underestimated the power that our own people have with regards to telling the story. Um, and so during our um, closure periods, as our staff have been able to come back on in JobKeeper, um, and we've been looking for different ways to engage on social media, we've started taking each of them and putting them in front of the camera and uh, and getting their view, their, their take on a tour or their comment about, you know, a particular aspect of the park. Um, and I think that's given us that, a human face and a much more, um, a much greater opportunity for people to see um, the business in a different light. I love your comment about a human face. You know, often we go business is business, but business is only as as good as the wonderful people that work within the business. You know, bricks and mortar are bricks and mortar, but the people bring the personality to the business. So, yeah, that's lovely. Um, ladies, is there anyone else that would like to do any final comment before we say thank you very much? Bindi, thank you. Is there any key takeouts, Bindi, that um, that you've had from, from these ladies, from the Trusman? People, uh, sorry, panellists, you may not realise that Bindi, I used to work with Bindi 20 years ago, I think it was, at uh, what was Tourism Queensland back then. So Bindi has been in the tourism industry an awful long time too. Yeah. Any, any general comments? Um, I I guess what I'm seeing, I, I back in the day used to be a travel consultant as well. So um, I've seen the wholesale and retail side and uh, things have shifted so much um, to the online space. But I think there's um, what you're all uh, recognising is that there's a, a big space here for drive travel. And, um, you know, I think you're doing some great things around using your staff in different ways, using um, your your facilities in different ways as well and being innovative in the space that you've got. I think um, you're all being really resilient and um, bouncing back really well. Well, thank you. That's a great little summary. So, um I'd like to say thank you again to each and every one of you for saying yes to the invitation in the first place and for participating today. So, again, Jeannie Armstrong from Fitzroy Island, Amber Rogers from 1770 Lark, uh, Sharon Cobble from The Next Story uh, and the various hotels that we have here in Brisbane, Amanda from Wake House, Natalie from the Dalaka Hotel, which is also known as the Pink Pub. I love that and uh, Jackie Price from the Ginger Factory. So, ladies, again, thank you very much. And before I go, I'd like to uh, just confirm that this particular series is possible thanks to the support from the Queensland Government. It was part of the Advancing Women in Business series. Last year I applied for it and was able to do uh, workshops in region. Obviously, COVID put that down. I was able to work with the wonderful Bindi from the Ethical Change Agency to be able to change my business model from being in region to being able to go online. So I thank Bindi for that. I thank the Queensland Government. I thank our industry, QTIC uh, and TEQ for their support. And uh, next week, just to let you know, again, this is uh, week two of an eight-part series. So next week is week three. 
And the ladies that we have will be Debbie uh, Bradburn from 31 The Rocks in Southeast Queensland country. We'll have Debbie Reed from Travel West about tours that they do in uh, Queensland's Outback. We have Kate Ernst from Tasman Venture at Fraser Coast, which are well-watching operators. Tony Ward from Whitsunder Jet Ski based in Airlie Beach. We have Sarah Colgate from the Aqueduct on the Gold Coast and Tara Kelly from Apollo Motorhomes, which will be very important as roads start to open up. So once again, ladies, thank you so much. Thank you for your, your genuine and authentic input. I wish you all the very best and success into the future. And may tourism reign supreme in Queensland. All the very best. See you guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Advancing Women in Tourism podcast. For more information and to connect with Kayleen, visit btlgems.com.au.